0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, Met fans. We won a baseball game against the New York freaking Yankees 9-3. It wasn't easy. It felt like it was going to be easy. And then, of course, the ugly head known as the New York Met Bullpen showed up and made it very, very exciting. Let's start off with what I think is good news, but I'm not 100% sure, and that is what happened in the ninth inning of this game when Francisco Alvarez was hit by a pitch, tried to check his swing. He clearly did go around. It was called strike three, but he got hit on the hand. And Alvarez's reaction was not good. It was the reaction that reminded me of Pete Alonso's reaction when he got hit by Charlie Morton a couple of months ago. The good news is, even though we got this same report on Alonzo, the imaging is clean. Alvarez already came out and said he doesn't expect to miss any time. But my attitude towards this, and this should be all of our attitudes, I'll believe it when I see it. If he's in the lineup for game two of the Subway Series, great. They dodged a the bullet. If he's not in the lineup, but he's in the lineup Thursday night against Washington, I would still say it's dodging a bullet. But I'll believe it when I see it. Not after the Alonso thing. Fool me once, shame on somebody. Fool me twice, I'm not a schmuck. That's the way I look at it. So Alvarez in the lineup on Wednesday, great. He didn't break his finger. All is good in the world. Not in the lineup, we start to freak out. and Of course, that has to happen in the ninth inning of a game that you think at that moment has now been decided because it's nine to three. And I, I have to admit this, and I I do this once in a while, but not that often. After Alvarez got hit, I was so pissed off, especially because Vientos had gotten hit um, one batter earlier by the same guy, Albert Abreu. I went back to that old Neanderthal thought of, they got to hit somebody in the ninth inning. I, I had that thought. Okay, Glaber Torres is leading up. He's been their most consistent hitter. Drill him. Giancarlo Staten's coming up. Drill him. The Mets have a six-run lead. Drill somebody. And I know that's irrational, and it doesn't make much sense. Like, why would it make me feel better to see Giancarlo Stanton's ass get pummeled with a baseball? It really wouldn't. But when you get two guys in a row hit by pitches, and both guys were in pain, and the Mets seem to get hit by pitches all the time, it's a natural reaction. I want to see that happen. Of course it didn't, because the Mets never do that. Last year, they were hit by more pitches than any team in the history of Major League Baseball. And how often did they retaliate? So they didn't. They did get the last three outs and they won this game. Now let's go through it. First of all, early on, the Mets were very, very, very fortunate. Go back to the top of the first inning of this game when Brandon Nimmo gets a 3 2 hanger from Domingo Herman and just misses a home run. It felt like Nimmo was going for number 16. Bounces off the wall. He barely ends up with a double. Actually, the throw by Bowers was off by just enough for Nimmo to beat it. But you're set up with a runner on second and nobody out. And tell me if I'm crazy. Did this not remind you of that game from a week ago? Who the hell were they playing? The Dodger. The Dodger series. When Nimmo hits the ball that's ruled a home run, they then rule it a double. He's left on second. Mets never get another hit. So Nimmo does this at Yankee Stadium. And what happens right after Francisco Lindor grounds out to Rizzo where the runner came in advance because it was like a sinking line drive. Jeff McNeil grounds out the first base and it looks like the Mets are going to fail to get Nimmo home after that leadoff double. And when Pete Alonzo, who has been showing signs recently, has had a weak pop-up to left center field, I'm already cursing him out. I dropped my pen of my scorebook and I'm cursing out Pete cursing out this lineup and then a gift from the baseball gods. And that gift is Yankee left fielders. The Yankee left field situation is so bad and so putrid and Billy McKinney once a Met forever a Met had no idea how to get to that bloop by Alonzo. It fell in the Bermuda triangle and left center field and the New York Mets were handed a run. But more than that, they weren't just handed a run. They were handed a reprieve. Because if they don't score in the first inning, do we not have all visions of Domingo Herman twirling seven scoreless innings? Like in a weird way, that misplay in left center field changed the entire game from not only zero, zero, because look, not scoring in the first inning is usually not the end of the world, but it feels like the end of the world. When you have a runner on second with nobody out, and both Lindor and McNeil can't advance him. So that was a Yankee gift. And I want to say thank you to the great Billy McKinney. I also want to say thank you when, with two outs and nobody on, Francisco Lindor in the third inning hits another little blooper to left field. And I know there's a lot of people in the audience who play golf. I don't play golf, but apparently when you're bad at golf, you create a lot of divots. Is that what happens off, like, you suck so badly at golf, like you create like a mess on the course and there's a lot of divots? Well, considering I'm not a golf guy, I'm just going to go ahead and say, yes, divots are, are definitely a
1: thing that happens when you really suck.
0: <laughs> you and I are the only two non-golf guys at WFAN. I feel we're in a special class, you know? It's a,
1: it's a, it's a good class, by the way. I
0: appreciate this, so that yeah. you and me are the only two. <laughs> it used to be you, me, and McPherson, but apparently Keith the other night on the fan was talking about, I'm going to get in a golf. And I'm like, damn it. Now it's really just me and Pete. So Billy McKinney was, I think my point to this whole thing about divots was that Billy McKinney was putting in more divots in the outfield than a bad golfer on a bad day. He's falling all over the place. He's kicking it around a little bit. And that little bloop double by Francisco Lindor in the third inning was the other game changer. Because then McNeil puts together the really good at-bat against Herman, drawing on the walk. And then Pete Alonzo, our boy. There's somebody I know, he calls him MV Pete. We haven't seen him be beaten a long time. I think he left us, but he came back for one night. For some reason, Domingo Herman let a change up just kind of sit there in the middle of the plate on 0-2. And Pete crushed it. He crushed it. And from that moment forward, it felt like, okay, this is going to be our night. Three-run jack, fourth RBI of the game. And then he does it again two innings later. He hits an absolute bomb to right center field. Even Daniel Vogelback hits a home run. And this felt like it was going to be a laugher. You know, Verlander's in complete control, despite making a, a conscious decision to not let DJ Lemayhu hit the baseball. That was a Verlander thing. He's like, I'm not letting DJ LeMayhew even get a swing against me. See pretty much pitched around him, and he walked him three times, but with Verlander in control and the Met offense clicking, all is right with the world until until Buck showalter did something that I know like. I know like this. I do not like this. If you remember in Verlander's last start, he had a chance to go deeper into the game. He went eight, he could have gone nine, and one of my reasons for why they could have had him go nine is they had an extra day of rest. So Buck made a decision that in the moment I'm thinking, well, wow, I didn't like it then, but maybe I like it now. Because Justin Verlander's thrown 98 pitches in six scoreless innings. He's in complete control outside of a couple of walks. He hasn't really made a sweat at all. Verlander looks great. Another dominant performance by him. And because Buck was a little bit more conservative than maybe I would have been in his last start, he would push him. He'd say, you know what? I'm going to let you pitch the seventh inning. So Buck made one of two choices that I don't love. Either he felt at seven, nothing, the game was over, which you can never feel with this bullpen. And he got cocky by taking Verlander out. Or for whatever reason, he doesn't think a guy making $45 million a year who won the Cy Young last year, who missed the first month. So it's not as if his workload has been too high. He doesn't feel comfortable pushing him to pitch the seventh inning with a pitch count of 98, with the bottom of the order coming up, Billy McKinney and Anthony Volpe and Kyle Higashioka. So either he's babying Justin Verlander or he got cocky. Take your pick. I don't like either because that forced Buck Showalter to then have to use five effing relievers after building a 7 nothing lead and only needing nine outs. You have to use everybody. And look, a lot of this is failures of guys. Brooks Raley, who's had a really good season this year, came in and he failed. He immediately hits a guy, Isaiah Conifalefa. He gives up a rip-double to Volpe off the right field fence. And then this is the one that I can't forgive. This is the... Worst thing that Brooks Raley did in his brief performance. He walks Kyle Higashioka in a 7-1 game with a run second and nobody out. I'm ripping my hair out. And this is Brooks Raley doing this. This isn't, you know, uh, Trevor Gott. This isn't Dominic Leone. This is Brooks Raley who's had a really good year. So Buck pulls him after he gets Jake Bowers to pop up. He goes to Dominic Leone, where I, I never know what we're getting from Dominic Leone. I never have an idea. And he walks Glaber Torres on four pitches. This Met bullpen is trying to cause us all like mass pain at the same time. A four pitch walk to Glaber Torres when you've got yourself a 7 1 lead and there's two outs or one out, throw strikes. He throws a strike to Giancarlo. Hits a ball 180 miles an hour, and he's lucky that D.J. Stewart makes the catch. And then to his credit, he struck out Anthony Rizzo. By the way, Yankee fans, Anthony Rizzo's back. And I mean that cautiously because as much as we're excited about Alonzo's performance going three for four, and he's been hot for more than just this day, you got to be careful. Anthony Rizzo had a four for four on Sunday. You're thinking to yourself, if you're a Yankee fan, he's out of it. What does he do today? 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. And, and never hit the ball hard, and never look good. So be careful. You know, we enjoy a big-time performance. We enjoy a breakout. It doesn't mean the guy's completely broken out. So, okay, let's get out of it. Not the end of the world. Grant Hartwig comes in to pitch the eighth in a 7-2 to two game. And what does Grant Hartwig do? He gives up back-to-back hits, and then the killer. A four-pitch walk to Volpe in a five-run game. So Buck, he's forced, and I don't blame him for this. I agree with what he did. Buck is saying to himself in a 7-2 game, as the Yankees have now loaded the bases up, so that means the tying run is on deck, which I guess makes it a save situation. I don't mean I guess it makes it a save situation. He goes to David Robertson, which I don't have an issue with. Got to win the game. Can you imagine if the Mets blow a 7-0 lead in the seventh inning to the New York Yankees in a game in which Justin Verlander didn't necessarily have to come out of the game? So he goes to Robertson, and Robbie does his job. Great. By the way, this is my whole point, and we'll spend much more time on it on our trade deadline special, which we'll post later this week. This is why if you trade David Robertson, you are giving up. You're giving up. There are trades you can make where you're not giving up. You could argue, yeah, getting a minor prospect giving a young player an opportunity. If David Robertson is traded, I just want you to imagine a world where he's not in this bullpen. Oh my God. Oh, Oh. he doesn't get to bail you out when three relievers try to blow a seven nothing lead. So Robertson does his job. The Mets break it open in the ninth inning. They get a, a really big hit by Jeff McNeil, who also had a quiet, good offensive game. The two-run double, the RBI single a few winnings earlier, the walk right before the Alonzo home run. We shouldn't forget that. So I'm even wondering on Twitter, now that it's 9-3 instead of 7-3, can you actually pull Robertson? Because here's the the, the risk when you take David Robertson out of this game. And I remember the Mets did this last year in the series in Atlanta, not obviously the last weekend, the middle series they played in Atlanta they used Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning close game got the big outs Mets appeared to break the game open and Buck said hey I'm managing for the long haul here I'm going to take Diaz out and I think the Mets had a six-run lead and whoever came in I can't even remember who it was made it exciting like the Braves almost came back so the risk you have is not just who am I going to it's if I start to blow the lead again I don't have David Robertson to put out the storm like he did in the eighth inning. But what Buck did, and this just shows you the state of the Met bullpen, he takes Robertson out up 9-3. Again, I agree with it. He threw seven pitches. You kind of save him now. He'd be available Wednesday. He'd be available Thursday. God knows how many pitches he'd have to throw in the ninth if you keep him in this game in a six-run game. But who does he go to? He goes to Adam Adovino. And and I know we all don't love Adam Adovino. But if you're ranking reliable relievers in the Met bullpen, he's in the top three. He is. It's Robertson one, and then it's take your pick. Probably Brooks Raley number two, despite what happened on Tuesday night, and Adam Adovino three. So he's saving one of his best relievers, but then using like his second or third best reliever to protect a six-run lead in the ninth inning. And that just shows you how crappy Trevor Gott and Drew Smith are. Because Buck Showalter said, I can't trust them to hold a six-run lead. So now you're using one of your better relievers. Uh, even in wins, I want to cry. Even in wins, you see the flaws. But they did win the game. And I said this on the air with Tiki, and I stand by this. And I, And I've been very honest with everybody throughout this season. As much as I think they're done, and as much as I don't see a run coming, every time... These teams in the National League lose, and the Mets stay within, I don't even want to say striking distance, but six out in the loss column. A part of me says, well, they still have a shot. And look, the problem with my theory on, not theory, but the part of my thinking on this is the only way you can succeed with the shot is to get hot. Like they need an extended winning streak, which has still not really happened. But as long as the Phillies and the Diamondbacks and the Giants are dangling that carrot in front of me, which is they're not completely buried, that's why I don't want to just give up. Because to me, the guy with the most trade value, realistically, assuming I'm not trading any one of my key guys and I'm not, is David Robertson. Like, he would have the most value in the trade market right now for any for the Yankees. Ron, Ron Mar- Marinaccio, I mean, I'll tell you, the clock has struck midnight on him and a lot of these Yankee relievers. So the Yankees couldn't want David Robertson. The Braves wouldn't want David Robertson. They just traded for two relievers, none of which is good as him. Like, I would assume David Robertson's going to have a good market, but I can't trade him because if you do that, any fantasy of making any kind of run is a thousand percent gone. But, but Evan, here's the thing is, and I love the optimism because you –
1: We're like me two weeks ago. We go, oh, this team's got plenty of time to make it up. We're We're literally less than a week away from the trade deadline.
0: How can you even sell yourself that this team is going to make some sort of run? I'm not. See, that's that's the thing, and I I don't know if I'm clear about this. I don't think they're going to make a run. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I guess the problem is I want to continue to have a glimmer. And I'm not giving myself a glimmer by making a trade. I'm buying somebody. I have never suggested that other than a guy that would be under team control for next year. So you're making a deal more for next year than this year. It's more waving the white flag where you're dead. Like David Robertson, when we did the midseason pod, and it wasn't that long ago. It was like a week and a half ago. I said David Robertson was the MVP of the team. And while you may not have fully agreed with me, you got it. You understood it. You're like, yeah, it's a fair point. And so I see him as the guy that if you trade him any glimmer and that's all it is, Pete, it's a glimmer. This team, you're right, has not shown the ability that they're going to go on any kind of run and play any kind of consistent ball. But as long as the national league is going to remain mediocre, that's a part of having a glimmer. And David Robertson is so damn important. He proved it on Tuesday. Like the Mets may lose this game. If David Robertson is not on the team, they may have blown the seven, nothing late. It's on the table. No, I, I I get that, but then how are you sh- – okay,
1: this is where Mets fans are at. It's like there's a very, very small percentage of this team can actually do anything and, and somehow do, do the impossible, make the playoffs, right. okay? Yes. But how do you sell that? Like if you have an opportunity to maybe gain – like l- listen – it's either crap the bed the entire season, be just a terrible team, Mitch, which means trade David Robinson, trade Tommy Pham, trade Marcana, trade anybody possible, or what? Win enough games that you almost made the playoffs. Like how? W- w- how do you sell your your fan base on either?
0: Can I ask you a serious question?
1: Very Maybe. serious question.
0: Yes. How drunk are you right now? <laughs>
1: Well, scale of one to ten, probably a nine point five. But, but yes.
0: <laughs> I, and by the way, it's not like Pete told me he was. I just, as I was listening to you, and I am listening to your words, and you are trying to slow down to make sense. It's something I would do when I am drunk. Like I want to be perceived as if I I know what I am actually saying, so I slow it down. I make sure it's coming out the right. And there is nothing wrong with that. Hey, it's a it's a Tuesday night. And you got kids. Why not have a few drinks, right? And we won a fucking game. <laughs> oh, but, but but hold on. But did I
1: make sense though? Because that 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 is an honest and fair question. Yeah, so you're basically saying you're basically saying that if you trade David Robertson the season's done, but if you hold on David Robertson, we have enough bite left to
0: keep us close so, to nothing. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I I think Robertson, the jury's out on what kind of prospect you're going to get back. I assume it's halfway decent, but I'm starting to think that the prospect haul coming back for Tommy Pham and Mark Hanna is going to be minimal. And if I'm not getting anything that good back, what's the point? And I think that's where I'm going towards. Like, we always talk about, should you sell? Should you not sell? Who should you sell? Well, a big part of it is what you're getting back, like if I'm getting a top 50 prospect for David Robertson, okay, I got to think about it. Like if I'm getting that and I don't think they are, but if I'm getting someone that impactful, okay, I would be an idiot not to consider it. But if I'm getting, I, I remember back to when they traded Lucas Duda and when they were selling off pieces like that, about five years ago, they got nothing. And they traded Billy Wagner to the Red Sox for Chris Carter. He was nothing. So, I'd almost rather kind of keep the chips with the long shot than to trade quality players for young, pro- not even prospects, just just to say I traded them. And I think that's where I'm at. Let me get to some of your emails, by the way. We'll do another Rico after the finale of this series, and then we'll do a trade deadline preview that'll be posted right before the weekend. Clinton McLeod writes, fire Epler. He wrote this at 6.30, so right before the game started. It's an hour before game time, and I see Vogel, Sucks, and DJ Stewart are both in the lineup. How is our system so thin that we have to resort to this crap in the lineup? Well, Clinton, remember what Billy Epler told us. Ronnie Mauricio's got a a few more boxes he needs to check. As far as Vogelback's concerned, or Vogel Sucks as you like to call him, he did hit a bomb in the sixth inning. And again, when Daniel Vogelback hits a rare home run, he likes to pimp it. Sean Prestia writes, is there a reason Buck Showalter had to use his lefty specialist in a seven-run game against righties just to burn him to get one out and maybe now not have him available for tomorrow against the lefty in a big spot? The manager gets outmanaged basically every single night. It's sad to see. Now Dominic Leone is on the mound, and the Mets will probably find a way to plow this game. All right, as far as Raley's concerned, reverse splits, by the way, He does have reverse splits, and he came in to face a lefty in Billy McKinney, but he was pinch hit for. So they got a lefty out of the game. IKF came up, so it turned out to be IKF. It turned out to be Volpe, and then it turned out to be Higashioka. So I I disagree with the idea that Rayleigh is a lefty specialist only. He gets both sides out. If your question is, hey, why am I using one of my best relievers in the seventh inning of a six-run game, or at that point, a seven-run game, uh, Raley was fresh. The Mets had an off day on Monday, and he probably thought what we all thought, which is, if I go to Drew Smith, if I go to Trevor Gott, this game may get ugly. What was surprising is that Raley was that bad. Now, I don't think any of us saw that coming. I don't think any of us saw Rayleigh facing four batters and three of them getting on base. My biggest issue is why not Justin Verlander? Why not push him for a seventh inning? Patrick Simmonson writes, I'm sitting at Yankee Stadium right now with two outs in the seventh inning. There is no way this team doesn't blow it. <laughs> I, I was, when Glaber Torres was walked on four pitches by Leon, I was very worried because you don't have that safety net in the seventh inning. Like you don't have the availability of David Robertson coming in the seventh. You just went to Leon, so he's committed to facing two more batters, Giancarlo and Rizzo. They're a batter away from getting the tying run to the plate. I was definitely worried. And he was lucky because Stanton hit a screaming line drive that happened to be right at the right fielder. So, Patrick, I'm with you. Nick Krennic writes, by the way, I screw up everybody's last name and I feel bad. I'm very sorry.
1: You must be drunk.
0: <laughs> Not yet. Maybe maybe tomorrow. With the Mets playing in Yankee Stadium, it made me and my Yankee fan friend talk about whether or not the Yankees have an advantage playing in a ballpark with a short fence in left and right field. Do you think it's an advantage or does it not really matter? Let me ask everybody a dumb question. Why does just about every team in baseball every single year have a considerably better home record than road record? Like, well, What's the reason? Do you think it's the last licks especially considering most of the time you're not even using your last licks in a win because you don't need an at-bat in the ninth inning. So what's the answer? And I think, by the way, there's a lot of reasons for it. I think number one is home cooking, being at home, sleeping in your own bed, not traveling. But I do think your ballpark becomes your advantage, just naturally. You're used to everything about it, even the smaller things. So I don't necessarily think it's just the sizes of fences or the jet stream in right center field. Now, obviously, if you build your team around the ballpark, you could have a great advantage of it. You know, back in the old days, the short porch at Yankee Stadium, left-handed sluggers. Sure. But I think in general, no matter what stadium you're talking about, you have an advantage in your own ballpark. Howie C writes, Carlos Radon is 0-3 with a 7-3-6 ERA. Does that mean Rod Rodon will throw a complete game shutdown against the Mets tomorrow? As much as I love the 9-3 offensive outburst tonight, I really wish they can save some hits and runs against left-handed starters. I do expect that Carlos Radon's going to pitch well because he's pitched so badly. He's had some great performances against the Mets. And look, I I could be wrong about this. I think Jack McDowell, after he gave the middle finger to Yankee fans, pitched really well in his next start. So while Radon didn't give Yankee fans the middle finger, he blew the kiss. Uh yeah, I can see him pitching really well. Oh wait, wait. Let me ask you a question: Are you really like
1: I- I'm a Mets fan, so I'm not a Yankee fan like you are? Is that really that big of a deal that he kissed the the Yankee fans off? Like, is it that that big of an issue?
0: Is it really a big deal when a player gives us the thumbs down? No. I- I- I appreciate your consistency, but a lot of Met fans were pissed off by the thumbs down. I mean, it's Javi, a- Javi Baez was a rental
1: piece of crap that nobody cared about on this team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, but that, wouldn't that make the Redon thing worse? He signed a really long contract. He missed the first few months of the season, and he's been bad when he's rarely pitched. Like, there's more of a commitment to Redon than Javier Baez was for us, and to show a sign of sensitivity this early is concerning.
1: Nah okay. I get that. I understand he's he's not been as as great, but like, I don't take those actions from players anymore. Like the reactions are just overblown. All right, we're all human. Like, dude, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna take a backflip from somebody when they they hit a walk off or anything else, it's the same thing as if somebody goes the opposite way. I'm sorry, it just I just don't
0: think. I think in general, fans don't want the play as much as we may boo them or react to them. We don't want the players to go after us because most times it just ends up badly for the player, whether it's Julius Randall or it's Javier Baez or in the case of Carlos Rodon. Now, Carlos Rodon's going to pitch at Yankee Stadium against the Mets. If he goes out and pitches as dominantly as how he expects, there ain't going to be any negativity. It's going to be all cheers and everybody's going to laugh and have a good time. If he pitches ineffectively and he's taken out in the fourth inning of a six to one Met lead, he is going to get destroyed with booze. He's going to hear a lot of it. Now I want to clear something up. Uh, I think it was on the last Rico. I misquoted the great Bob Murphy. Okay? I did. I misquoted him. I think it was after one of their wins. I said, Hey, remember that game many, many years ago when Bob Murphy said, and they win the damn game? I think I got it completely wrong. In fact, Samuel Lowenthal corrected me. He said, Evan, I got to correct you. The call that Bob Murphy made at the end of that crazy Philly game was not, and the damn game is over. It was something else. Now, You've had a crazy night. Do you have the audio of this, Pete? If not, it's it's fine. My phone
1: is dead. I cannot activate <laughs> it right okay. now. And I apologize.
0: I really... <laughs> no, like no, it. it's okay. You
1: talk to me like, yo, dude, please <laughs> just have this. I'm wrong. I never make mistakes, but this is on me. I have to play it, and I screwed this up. So this is on hot. No, 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 I apologize. Don't...
0: It's okay. It's <laughs> you had a good enough night. I will read you what Murphy actually said. He said, the Mets win the ball game. They win the damn thing by a score of 10 to 9. Sam writes, I remember this clearly, but just to be sure I Googled it, and I am right, it may be a nitpick, but I could not allow you to change this classic Murphy quote. And I appreciate that, Sam. I never want to misquote the great great Bob Murphy. So I said, and the damn game is over. He said they win the damn thing by a score of 10 to 9 I just remember a very soft-spoken Bob Murphy using the word damn and that was whoa Bob Murphy said damn that's crazy but I appreciate the correction Sam I really do we will have a Rico right after or soon after game two of this series Jose Quintana against Carlos Redon and we'll give you another Rico probably in the middle of the Washington series they started on Thursday. So I would say Friday into Saturday, maybe early Saturday morning, we will give you not only some quick thoughts on the beginning of that series, but we'll talk very heavily into this trade deadline, what I wouldn't do, what we should do, what Pete would do, what Pete can't do, what I don't want to do, what everyone wants to do. Uh, A lot of emails recently on opinions on what they should do at the deadline. I had an extensive discussion uh, with Tiki about it the other day in which I don't want to trade Verlander and Scherzer. As down as I've been on Max. I think it's a foolish idea. So we'll get into more detail about that. But we do appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronia. Email us, ricob at gmail.com, the ricob at gmail.com. Now, Pete, get a good night's sleep. You're a very important figure at WFN. You're producing Salakata and Brandon Tierney. And the last thing they want on day three of their show is you hung over. All right? So feel better.
1: Oh, no, I'm great. It's a a great night. They won.
0: The Mets won. How can we feel bad? Let's be serious. Some may say, the Mets win the damn thing. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Rico. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.